When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, Tech fans, and welcome into episode 156 of the Tech Sideline podcast, originating from TSL's High Tech Studios and the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. On Saturday, number three Clemson took down Virginia Tech 45-10 inside of Lane Stadium, securing the first losing regular season for Virginia Tech football since 1992. What are the main takeaways from the Clemson-Virginia Tech game? And we talk a little bit of Virginia Tech basketball against VMI from Thursday. All that and more coming up on episode 156 of the Tech Sideline Podcast that gets started right now. Whether you are watching live or archived on YouTube, listening on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or on Stitcher, so glad that you could join us as we record on Monday morning, December 7th. We have our managing editor, Chris Coleman, with us on the podcast set, our founder and general manager, Will Stewart, the best podcast producer in the land, Malcolm Stewart, behind the scenes, and I'm your podcast host, Evan Hughes. If you are watching live or archived on YouTube, please be sure to hit the like and subscribe button. It's great to have you with us. And if you have a question for Will or Chris, basketball or football related, go ahead and drop it in the chat, and I will get to those at the end of the show. Campus Emporium is proud to sponsor the TSL community. A portion of every sale is returned to Virginia Tech in support of its Endowment for Excellence student programming, and need-based scholarships. Campus Emporium has been serving the Virginia Tech community for over 25 years from their locations in Blacksburg and their online store. Please visit the number one source for Virginia Tech merchandise at campusemporium.com or go see them at 207 North Main Street or 1337 South Main Street. Tech Sideline Podcast also presented by Southeast Regional Training Center. Go to southeastrtc.com. Com to find out how you can support Virginia Tech Wrestling. Gentlemen, good morning. It's a little chilly outside because it is a winter wonderland <laughs> in Blacksburg. First snow of the year is here. Yes, and I'm looking out the window and it's sticking to the trees. It didn't really stick to the cars or the roads, though, so that's good. I, I love the first snow, Chris. Driving oh. in, it's a very pretty view coming into the uh, corporate research center. It is. It's very p- picturesque. Uh, I have a feeling it's going to be one of those winters where it's actually going to be pretty warm, but when it does snow, it's really, really, really going to snow. I don't remember last winter. What happened last winter? I don't remember either. I don't really think it snowed that I much think it, I don't think it did either. I know that last summer, it didn't rain for like the last two months of the summer, and so that extended on into winter is what you're saying? Yeah. Well, looking forward to a great show today. We're going to analyze the entire Clemson-Virginia Tech game. We're going to talk about the good We're going to talk about some parts that maybe Virginia Tech would like to have back. Plus, there was a basketball game on Thursday night. 
And it was competitive between Virginia Tech and VMI. We'll talk a little bit about Hokie Hoops towards the end of the show. They've got a big game against Penn State on Tuesday in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. But I want to lead off the podcast with this. You know, I was listening to ESPN Blacksburg on Saturday. They do a pregame show before uh, the, the coverage of Virginia Tech and, and Clemson. So who does that show? Who That's uh, Paul Van it? Wagner, Andrew Alex, and right. a couple of other people go on as well. But there was a question that was asked on that show, and I thought it was really interesting, and I wanted to get both of your takes on this. When was the last time Virginia Tech was an underdog in a game? that the fan base was not thrilled about watching. Woof. Um, Well, so David Hale, and I think we talked about this in the last podcast, David Hale said the last time, what was the spread on this game, Chris? 20-something? Yeah, 22 or something like that. David Hale said the last time Tech was a 20-plus dog was against uh, Alabama to open the 2013 season. But Tech fans were engaged and excited about that one. Uh, you know, uh, I, I remember not really looking forward to the game so much, but at least it was the first game of the season. Um, remember, Tech had brought in uh, changed offensive staffs in the offseason. Yeah. So it was like uh, the first game for Scott Leffler, uh, Grimes, Aaron Moorhead, that whole new offensive staff that, that had come in. So I wasn't really looking forward to the game per se, but I was looking forward to the season. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know what this reminds me of, this whole pregame vibe is um, that I don't remember what year it was, but there was a year where Miami was very highly ranked. I think they were number one and they came to visit Lane Stadium. You're talking early 1990s, probably, I don't know, 1992 or something like that. I, I, I don't think it was that year, maybe 90 or 91. Uh, but Miami rolled in here. They were number one, and everybody knew Tech had no chance to win. And Miami got up, I don't know, like 35 nothing or something like that. The final score wound up being 45-23 to 23 because Miami put all the scrubs in and Tech, you know, scored some points late. And that was actually like the second most points given up by Miami all season long that Virginia Tech scored that day. So the final score looks eh, kind of acceptable, but I eh, that's – that's going way back. You're talking almost 30 years back where you felt like Virginia Tech was so overmatched they didn't have a chance. And this game is kind of the opposite of that. Uh, in this game, the final score doesn't look respectable, but Tech actually hung in there for the better part of three quarters. This was a one-score game with 20 minutes left. Right. Yeah. Let's go ahead and break it down. Number three, Clemson beats Virginia Tech 45-10. to On Saturday, the Hokies had three different quarterbacks play in the game. Hendon Hooker, Braxton Burmeister, and Knox Kadem. Will, before we get into the specifics of this game, general thoughts on the game, a game in which Virginia Tech, like you said, was only down seven at halftime. What were your thoughts on the game plan, and what were your thoughts on the game overall? Uh, I'll I'll answer this way. Um, I got started on my Monday article last night, and I've already written like five pages. I, you know, Chris and Chris will back me up on this. There are some games where you just really don't really know what to write and you don't feel like writing anything. And I think Chris felt that way about this. Oh, one. yeah. It's the first time I felt this way in a long time. Just coming up with a, a different way to say the same thing every single week is, yeah. is very, very difficult. So I, I had the opposite situation where I had three or four topics I wanted to talk about. And, and so I got, I got off to a run and start with it last night. And, So if you ask me for my general thoughts on the game, I thought that Virginia Tech's game plan was very good, very sound. 
um, the shorten the game by running the clock down on offense. Um, and the way that Virginia Tech ran their offense, I don't. So I, I go on at length about this in, in, in my article. You know, Clemson's known for stealing signs. Uh, they, they steal your offensive calls. And they, and they have a whole system where Brent Venables is known. <laughs> so I, I did a little research on this last night. Brent Venables is known for making adjustments late at the line of scrimmage in uh-huh. air quotes. What's actually going on there is Clemson's sign stealers are relaying to him what the opposing offense is going to do. And he's making his defensive call right for the ball is snapped. And, and, I, and I, I go into a lot of detail in my article that I, that I won't go into here. Um, and I haven't watched enough. I know that this is a thing. Sports Illustrated ran an article about it at the beginning of the season. Everybody's known that for years that Clemson's really good at stealing signs, and they're not the only program that does it. It is, it is not against the rules. And in baseball, it's really frowned upon. Baseball, there's a certain culture. Of, right. You just don't do that. Yeah. And that's not really true in college football. Right. Um, I, I think – but, but the conclusion of the Sports Illustrated article was that of all the programs that, that steal signs and adjust and things like that, Clemson's the best at it, that they have a phalanx of, of bots and drones and people that, that figure all this stuff out. Um, so I haven't watched enough Clemson football to know if what other teams do to combat that. Um, teams will change their signals up from week to week, but you know a good staff can figure it out by halftime. And so the, the Sports Illustrated article went into detail about games where the Clemson defense had struggled in the first half and then come out and played lockdown in the second half. And the conclusion was that they'd gotten their sign stealing down for that particular game. <laughs> so I, I don't know what other teams have done to adjust, but I, I know that what Virginia Tech did was they stayed in the huddle a long time till it got late in the play clock. Then they quickly went to the line um, they would maybe put a couple guys in motion very quickly and run the play within five or ten seconds. So you're not really giving Clemson enough time to figure out what you're doing. And if you go back and watch the film, there's not a lot of adjusting going on on the Clemson defense before the snap. The other thing that Tech did was um, I, I wasn't able to observe if they were running a lot of receivers in and out with play calls, but there were a number of times yep. where Burmeister went to the sideline and spoke directly with the play caller. Yep. So no hand signals that you can steal going on. I, I just thought Virginia Tech's game plan from that standpoint was outstanding. Keep the football away from Clemson, uh, limit their ability to steal signs and anticipate what you're doing on offense. And so that's that's my first takeaway is I, I thought the game plan was great. Yeah, you know, to, to beat Clemson, you have to pretty much do everything perfectly. You have to get your preparation throughout the whole week, your game plan, how you want to approach it. That has to be perfect. And then you have to execute it almost perfectly during the game. So Tech's preparation was pretty much perfect. Yeah. But then they got out in the game and they had too many turnovers. And, and Fuente also said after the game, uh, you know, he, he pulled the hooker after, I guess, one series and put Burmeister in. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the plan. And the plan wasn't to leave Burmeister in, but they did because he was doing so well. Now, Fuente did make a comment when he was talking to Mike Burnup about how um, hooker in, in the first possession was breaking the huddle early. He had basically – he basically wasn't doing what they'd been practicing all week. Right. And I, I kind of, when I rewatched the game, I forgot to look for that. Um, but I did notice that Virginia Tech's very first snap from scrimmage, there were still 25 seconds on the play clock or yeah, something like yeah. that. Yeah, um, 
I'd heard before the game that Burmeister was going to play. Mm-hmm. I don't think they planned to play him that early. Um, and Fuente said they didn't plan to leave him in, but he just started you know, playing well. But the yeah. original reason they took Hooker out is because the very first play of the game, he went out there and did the opposite of what they had practiced yes. all week. So yeah, I got, you can bridge this into the Hooker question if you want. But yeah, there was something off about him mentally this yeah. past week. And... And then we obviously we saw the breakdown on the sideline. So I don't know what's going on there. I hope he's okay. Yeah, let's let's go ahead and transition to that. We'll talk about the game in full. I do want to get back to also. Oh, so about first Brett. of all, let's talk about the fact that the podcast is at ten thirty today instead of ten. Um, we should probably actually do that every Monday because the uh, Fuentes press session starts <laughs> at eleven thirty. So the reason we're doing the 1030 podcast today is we want to get about an hour in and then I Twitter and see if there's any news or anything coming out. And we should probably actually have been doing that all along. But particularly with with the hooker situation, I I know what Fuente said Saturday. I want to hear what he says today to to open his comments. So that's why we're running a little later. We want to incorporate that into the podcast. So. Again, we'll we'll get back to talk about Braxton Burmeister. I want to talk about the first half, the offense, but I think that that was as soon as the game was over. I think the fan base was was concerned about Hendon Hooker and, and yeah. making sure he was okay. And um, after the game, Coach Fuente said that he was told during the game that he was having trouble getting warm. That he was cold on the sideline, and and there was a shot from ESPN of him on the sideline where he just you could tell that something was off. So. Um, he did not return to the game itself. That's when Knox Kadem came in because Braxton Burmeister got hurt. Mike Nizelak did a story in the Roanoke Times over the weekend in which he interviewed Alan Hooker, who's Hendon's dad, and uh, a couple of quotes that, that stood out that were good. Talking to him today, we feel confident he's fully recovered. He's fine. He'll be ready to go. Hendon is resilient. Um, you know, ev- everything that you wanted to hear him say um, – he basically said in terms of him being okay, which yeah. is really great to hear. But, I mean, Will, basically, what we're hearing, I mean, it was, it was cold on the sideline. He had trouble getting warm, and the, and the trainers took him off the field. What did you see, and what did you make of the of the postgame comments from Coach Fuente regarding the status of Hooker? So I was in the press box again. I've been in the press box all year, and it was actually a lousy place to watch this game. <laughs> and um, I thought that the te- you got a lot more from the television coverage than, than, than we could see or, or whatever in the press box. If I could go back and do it over again from, from the time Hooker didn't go back in. So, so let me, let me paint a different picture. Hooker doesn't go back in. They send in Knox Kadem and you don't even know why. And, and they have television monitors in the press box. And I happened to look up at it at the moment where they walked Hooker into the um, locker room. Now, fans watching on television had already seen him, for lack of a better term, convulsing on the sidelines, just kind of hitching, and you could tell something was off. Those of us in the press box hadn't seen that, and we never really did. If I could go back and do it over again, you know, uh, uh, anybody who's working the press box worth his salt has a pair of binoculars. I got my binoculars with me because you always want to see who's injured, how bad does it look. Once a guy's taken to the sidelines, what are they doing with him, you know? I wasn't dialed in enough to know to watch Hooker. So my impressions come from looking at the at the film afterwards, looking at my DVR copy afterwards. And uh, I've gotten to where I don't even remember the question you asked, but um, it's 
clearly this is not a medical opinion because we have nothing to go on. But we were talking about it before we went live with the podcast and some, something just happened. You know, he fumbled. There, there were no indications that anything was wrong until he fumbled the one that was returned for a touchdown that made it 31 to 10, I believe. Right. Yeah. Um, now, Hooker gets up off the ground and chases the, the guy returning the fumble. And it's right after that that you can see him having issues on the sideline. Um, and the official, uh, well, not the official, but the information we got yesterday said anxiety combined with being cold. Um, I just think he had some sort of reaction that you you can't really describe and maybe not even medically. That's my take. Well, maybe we'll find out more at 1130, you know, a little bit later in the podcast. Uh, yeah, I, I think there have been I don't think you can write it off as just the cold. I mean, he sat on the sideline, dressed out for the Notre Dame game last year, which yeah. was much, much colder than this game. Uh, he went through the Pitt game last year, which was freezing cold and raining the whole time. So it wasn't just cold. I think it was some kind of mental reaction to combined with combined a with reaction. the cold, right, right, and create some kind of maybe chemical reaction within you. I don't know. I'm not a doctor, but I think that it was more more than just the cold and more than just I think it may be anxiety combined with the cold. And and so let's be clear about this. Um, having watched it on television, uh, he wasn't faking it. Whatever was going on there, he wasn't making it up. Um, and I think most people that, that watch are like, yeah, that whatever that was, that that's real. And the other thing is he's not usually an anxious guy. He doesn't give off that impression anyway. No, he's it always, certainly doesn't. He's always been cool and collected in games. Another quote from his dad in the Roanoke Times article from Mike Nizolik. Uh, he said, he wasn't having a seizure or anything. It, it's a natural reaction to the cold. You just can't control it. It's not something you can fix with a coat or a heater. Sometimes the cold gets into you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, you know, it would be interesting to... Uh, not that the camera was on him the whole game, but you know when they took him out of the game, what what was he wearing on the sideline when he wasn't playing? Did right. he immediately put a coat and gloves on or something? Because I, I think it, I think it's one of those things where if if you're outdoors, you need to keep keep yourself warm the entire time. You can't just be like, oh, I'm cold, and then put on some gloves and then get warm in five minutes. Yeah, it's a core temperature thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so so it'll be interesting to see what they say if they really say anything. The, the guys who are the reporters who are on the call, you know, uh, Mike Barber and Nizelec and Bitter, they'll ask the, the questions. Another uh, part of the article, and then we can move on. Uh, Alan Hooker dismissed speculation the incident had anything to do with his health scare earlier in the year. Uh, Hendon was sidelined under the team's COVID-19 protocols and underwent additional testing before being cleared to return. So that's good news. And so, again, there felt like that was there were some good news from that article, though, that he, he seems sure, to be doing Sure, but okay. I don't think Alan Hooker's a doctor. So, you know, we'll see. Well, just yeah. hope that he's okay. That's the main thing. You never want to see someone hurt. And, and, and yeah. unfortunately for Virginia Tech, a couple of key injuries happened in this game against Clemson. Christian Dare saw one down. We're getting some questions in the chat. Braxton Burmeister left the game. So let's go back. We just touched on the injury, but I, for a moment, before we talk about Burmeister getting injured, let's talk about Braxton Burmeister himself. You said that you had heard that he was going to play in the game on Saturday. He ends up through the air, 10 of 12, 127 yards, and led a touchdown drive early in that first half. 
What did you like about Burmeister, and did you feel he gave the offense a much-needed spark in well, that first half? He certainly played well. He was certainly ready to play. Um, Passed it well. Pat threw it well. I, I think, obviously, early in the season, he didn't pass it very well, but I mean, this guy was a transfer who was on the scout team last year, all redshirting, then didn't have a spring practice. I mean, brand new offense for me. Never been in the offense before at all, right? So it was understandable that, you know, that things just weren't operating, you know, on eight cylinders, so to speak, with, yeah. with, with, with him in there. Um, you know, at one point during the season, he broke like three of his toes and one of his feet when an offensive lineman stepped on his foot. Um Fuente said he kept practicing during all that, but, you know, went back to third string. Uh, so, I, I don't know. I mean, I thought he did well, and then he himself got hurt. Yeah. So, what is the quarterback situation going into the UVA game now? Um, oh, would he man. be able to play? Quincy, Quincy, wherefore out there, Quincy. Yeah, well, Quincy was in the stands the other night supporting the team. Really? Yeah. Yeah. He, that's uh, awesome. But, but it's Quincy, I mean, he can't play. His thumb is legitimately hurt. Well, that's true. So, that's even, true. If, even if he was here, he wouldn't be able to play. So, I don't know what like what is Hooker's situation. I don't yeah. know. It does honestly like if we had to play a game tomorrow, I would worry about putting him in the game because it might be cold this weekend. You know, it's going to be a pressure pack situation, and you know, I would I would need more information from doctors and things like that, and from Hendon himself before I could make that decision. Um, but you know, obviously, your other option is Knox Kadem. Who I thought it did a credible job, yeah. considering you know he's a fourth string quarterback, or I guess he's a so. Let me ask third. you something. Do you remember? You remember his high school film? Yeah, um, I don't think he threw an interception as a senior year. As a senior, in, in do you high think school. his arm looks stronger the other night than it did in his high school film? I would say so. Um, I but, thought he was a pretty accurate passer yeah, in his yeah, high school film, yeah. but not a lot of arms. Correct. But, but I mean, you would expect that. I mean, I, now after just a year to get a little bit bigger. Yeah. And everything like that. It should be a little stronger. Kadem came in in that third quarter. He finished four of six, 68 yards. And that screen pass that he had, he got crushed on that and was still able to. That was a really nice play. He hung in there. And, you know, those screen passes, you know the timing has to be perfect. And if you throw it early, you're just not going to complete it. And sometimes and if you, you throw some, it late, it's going to get picked so, off. So, so sometimes you've just got to put your body on the line and, and take that hit. You know, for for the good of the team, and he did that. I uh, want to go to a, a pivotal moment in this game, and that was towards the end of the first half before halftime. Hokies were down 17-10. Virginia Tech had all three of its timeouts, ran a couple of plays, running plays, and then Khalil Herbert breaks off a big run, gets to midfield, Hail Mary attempt. Raheem Blackshear catches it. Not even on the one. The, how about the half-yard line? He was inches away from essentially tying the game at halftime. But, you know, the fan base, you know, was very passionate afterwards about how that final minute went down. Chris, did you feel like, and Coach Fuente alluded to after the game, he felt like the way Clemson was playing offensively, that they had three timeouts. He didn't want to give the ball back to him. Mm -hmm. What did you make about how the final minute of the first half transpired? Yeah, I understand those sentiments. I, 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 I also understand that... Maybe when the odds are long against you to a certain extent, that that there are a few times where you maybe need to take a couple of risks here or there to have a chance to win. Because it's not like the game was tied at that point. Tech was behind. So Tech was, even if, let's say Clemson didn't score the rest of the game, 
which wasn't going to happen, of course. But Tech would have still needed to score one more touchdown just to force overtime, mm-hmm. right? So you've got you've got to get that touchdown at some point. Um, so I, I don't know that. T- Will has more details on on the thought press. The whole sequence. Yeah, so go ahead, Will. Uh, So the ball was kicked off with, I think, 106 left. Uh, Herbert returned it to the Tech 32. 55 seconds to go. You're at your own 32 and three timeouts. And I look at that as opportunity. It's not like you're on your 22. Right. You yeah. know, hey, we, we're we okay. We're not backed up to our 15 or our 20, um, you know, and, and we have all three timeouts, 55 seconds. This is an opportunity to go down and score it to at least get close enough for a field goal. Brian Johnson had already made a 54-yarder. So, you know, he was feeling it. And I believe it was in the same direction, winded his back. Um, I'm, I'm not thinking about the next thing about, oh, gosh, if we don't succeed here, Clemson might score. Um, I'm, I see, I do, I do. So let me boil it down simpler. That situation to me is an opportunity, not a cause for concern. Fuente approached it as a cause for concern. Oh, if I do the wrong thing here, things could actually get worse. No, I, I, I never go there mentally. I'm like, Hey man, we got a chance here. And so they run a play and, uh, um, Herbert, Gains four yards out to the 36, and, and, and I looked at the film. He hit the ground with 50 seconds left to go. And Tech just let the clock run. And they ran another running play with nine seconds left to go and three seconds on the play clock. So they burned off the entire clock. So nine seconds left to go, and that's when Herbert runs 21 yards and gets tackled to the Clemson 43, I believe, if I'm doing my math correctly and remembering things correctly. He gets knocked out of bounds at the 43 with – Two seconds left. How about you do it this way? You pick up four yards on first down. He gets tackled with 50 seconds left to go. You call for a timeout. Maybe you get it with 47 seconds left to go. You get that same run, and he gets knocked out of bounds with 40 seconds left to go. You're now at Clemson's 43-yard line with 40 seconds left to go and two timeouts, and now you're in business. But because they ran the clock completely down, all they could do is throw a Hail Mary. And so... Uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to storm the gate with a pitchfork and a torch, but that's just the way I look at it. I, I would have been more aggressive and, and, and would have tried to conserve clock and tried to score. I just completely disagree with the way Fuente pictured it in his mind. We know Tech has some creative passing plays in their arsenal. I call it, I call it the smoke and mirror offense, yeah. of course. And they're, they're almost trick plays to a certain extent. And, uh, and the thing about trick plays is if you run them too much – they're no longer trick plays, right? They're, they're, they become expected. It's just a part of the game. Um, that said, there would have seen seemed the opportune moment to break one of those out. I, I think I think you'd have to ask a football coach, but I, to your point, I think coaches go into games with one or two plays in their back pocket that mm-hmm. they've never run before, mm-hmm. trick plays that they're going to run when they feel the time is right. So that's the other thing I left out was that, that was a prime opportunity to – maybe go out to the line of scrimmage a little early and show Brent Venables something mm-hmm. to where he thinks you're going to do a certain thing and then do something completely different. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, I just think it was opportunity missed. So the other layer to this is um, 
it's not like this crushed the team and turned the game completely around. Right. Virginia Tech was very competitive for another 10 minutes of game time. Mm-hmm. You know, when Devon Diablo picks off that pass in the end zone, it's 17 to 10, and Tech's got the ball in there in business. Unfortunately, Burmeister fumbles, and as – as the clock goes under five minutes in the third quarter, Trevor Lawrence scores a touchdown that makes it 24 to 10. So let's be clear. It's not like it destroyed the morale no, of the no, team. No, no, absolutely not. But I just – I just, yeah. eh. It was kind of like the Ohio State game in 2015. Remember that the final score ended up being a blowout, but with like late in the third quarter, it was like a one-score game pretty much. Until um, yeah. um, Brewer got hurt. Yeah. yeah. Um, and not to mention, too, when you've got the ball with under a minute left and they've got three timeouts, but Clemson also gets the ball to start the second half. Correct. We're leaving that out. So so I, I, it, that's another thing that probably went through front day's mind was, holy cow, if, if, we don't, if, if we don't do anything good here and they score, they might score again. Oh, two and then, straight then they're down right. 31, you know, whatever. Yeah. I, you know where I stand. Um, you know, looking at the third quarter quickly, I want to talk about the defense specifically in a minute. But really, so just... I left one thing out. I'm actually going to put in my article today a poll for the people that the subscribers that read the article. Do you agree or disagree with the way Fuente handled the uh, the end of the first half? So, because I, I want to know, I see the arguments on Twitter and on our message boards. I want to know where the percentages lie. So. Sorry about that. Go ahead. No, looking forward to it. Let's, uh, and you guys kind of touched on it. Third quarter, Tech had their chances, turned the ball over, and the game was essentially out of hand by the end of the third quarter. What I'd rather do is, is talk about the defense for a moment because I left the Clemson game, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. I felt like even though 45 points were given up, Tech played better defensively against Clemson than they did Pittsburgh. I felt oh, like yeah, it was yeah, a yeah, much – No question. What, what did you overall thoughts, before uh, I get into specific players, the thoughts on Justin Hamilton's uh, game plan going in and the way the defense played overall? Well, the game plan worked, so we can't have many complaints there, can yeah, we? Yeah. Uh, so I think, all right, if you look at what the at the end of the third quarter, I, mean, I think Clemson had scored 31 points at the end of the third quarter, but one of them was on a 12-yard drive after the, the Burmeister fumble. Uh, one of those touchdowns was the 66-yard fumble return for a touchdown. Mm-hmm. So they basically, in three quarters of football, scored 17 points against the Virginia Tech defense. Uh, my only issue with, with the defense was was really with, with like one play later in the game. It was that long touchdown pass that Clemson threw, and I thought the Tech defensive back should have laid out to make the tackle at the five-yard line, and he just kind of held up and stopped. And I think at that point, Tech had just kind of, they they checked out mentally to a certain extent there, um, but you know uh, that, that Clemson had 433 yards of offense. 50 yards came on one play by the running back. Um, the Tech offense, although they didn't score many points, they helped the defense by keeping the ball. Mm-hmm. So it was a good game plan by Virginia Tech. Uh, you know, it just it didn't work because you still like the game plan can be great, but you still have to execute the game plan. Right. And tech, they just had too many, too many turnovers and too many missed opportunities and things like that. You've, when you're playing a team with the talent level of Clemson, you almost have you, to play you, a perfect game. You do. You do. Yeah. I mean, well, there's no such thing Which as a teams perfect game, do. but, right. but, but, you know, you can't have those turnovers that tech had. You can't have when you've got the ball in Clemson's 28, you know, you can't have your starting center with a late hit. It, you know, I have a problem with that one. Like, late hits don't bother me. Like, I recognize that Brock Hoffman is a 
is a nasty physical guy who's going to play to the echo of the whistle. And it wouldn't bother me if he had uh, been ex- ex- if he had excessively blocked someone that he was already engaged with. Right. This was a situation where this guy was was on the ground, and he just came in on top of him, and yeah. that and Fuente went after him. On the sideline, Game man. Earful, it's yeah. a good. It's a good thing Fuente was wearing a mask. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been bad. Uh, yeah, so not, not safe television. So you know you can't. That was in the second quarter. That was the the opening first drive of the second quarter, and Tech had the ball on Clemson's twenty eight, and I think they were down. I guess I they know, were, it was ten seven at that point. In it was time. either ten to seven or fourteen to ten Clemson. Something I don't like remember that. when Something Clemson like scored that. their there. Yeah, uh, uh, or maybe it was ten ten seven. Uh, yeah, because Clemson scored a touchdown. That's right. That, that's right. That's, 10, right, that's right. You're yeah. right. Um, but at any rate, at any rate the, the, the game's right there for you. Yeah. You know, so you can't you can't do things like that and beat Clemson. You you have to avoid those critical errors. And Tech didn't do it. So look at the numbers. Trevor Lawrence, twelve of twenty-two, hundred ninety-five yards, a touchdown, a pick. I mean, and, that's and, by and far Travis a ET- season low in passing for uh-huh. And Travis Etienne, the ACC's all-time leading rusher in conference history, sixty-six yards. Uh, I mean, four point one yards a carry. Yeah, he, he, I think his career he's over seven yards per carry, and Tech held him to. Yeah, his first 4. two years, two or three years, he was over seven yards carry. This year, he's a five point four coming in, mm-hmm. and, and and he got no explosive plays that I no no not in no. the passing game or the running nope. game. No, he did look good in the running game though. Yeah. Uh, he, you know, it, what impresses me, we talked about Thursday. I'm glad we did about going back to Lawrence. Sorry about the running right. game. His, his ability on the RPOs, that one touchdown he had in the third quarter, <laughs> where he's holding onto that ball. I mean, until, just until so, he sucked Tisdale in. I so, think it was. So long, by the way. I brought this out as we brought up Trevor Lawrence for the first time. We'll put it <laughs> uh, my Jets mask for those listening. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I felt like he has the ability to go over 300 yards, 400 yards. And, I mean, he was held in check. Yeah, if you told me before the game, if you give me his stats, 12 of 22 mm-hmm. for 195, ATN 16 for 66, 4.1 yards per carry, and then their top receiver – Three catches, thirty-two yards. If you had given me all those numbers before the game, I'd have been like, hey, "Yeah, man, I will take that. Talk, We're going to be in this game." Yeah, and 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 so Lawrence has only thrown three interceptions all year. One of them was the one to Diablo, and he he effectively has thrown four. If Chapman had held on to the ball, yeah, Chapman about caught the ball but did not hold on to it. Right. If you watch that replay, he had it, and then he hit the ground and it bounced out. Um, I'm not saying the refs blew the call. I'm just saying that he actually did catch it. If he holds on to that, you know, that that's two interceptions in one game for Trevor Lawrence. He had done that since uh, probably since the beginning of last year. A uh, couple of numbers for Virginia Tech defensively. Ashby and Tisdale lead the team in tackles with seven. Amari uh, Barno, uh, a tackle and a half uh, for loss. And to me, Will, it feels like towards the end of the season, Barno quickly kind of establishing himself as one of the players, uh, the best players on Virginia Tech's defense. Yes, and he needs to, as we've talked about many times, buy in during the offseason. It, it has been pointed out to him. You know, They finally got him to switch from linebacker to defensive end, and it should be pretty clear now that he can be a really good defensive end. Yeah, get yourself up to 255, and, and you'll have a chance to go to the NFL. Yeah. If you stay at your current weight, you're just going to be another guy where everybody's going to say, man, he just didn't quite fulfill his potential. And that's all going to come down to – the work he puts in 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 the weight room and in nutrition also eating the right foods doing the right being disciplined as far as that goes yeah in the offseason uh one stat i want to bring up by the way uh from damian salas who's a uh, frequent watcher of the show and uh webmaster at virginia tech 
When Virginia Tech was leading, first time Clemson was trailing this season in a game that Trevor Lawrence had started. How about that? Very Interesting good. stat. So, you know, so uh, I, I also think part of the the fact that things went well was um, I just didn't see uh, Clemson as being fully fired up. You know, I, I don't want to take anything away from Tech's game plan and Tech's effort, but I do think Clemson was kind of going through the motions a little bit. Yeah, it's know? hard. It's hard to say. It's one of those things. that's like, how do you tell whether a team lacks talent or if it's player development, right? You're like, how do you really tell? Yeah, which is like, like you can never really tell if the other team is 100 percent fired up and everything. No, they have no reason not to be. If they had lost that game, they wouldn't have gone. They they'd be out of the playoffs. Yeah, right. So it wouldn't make sense for them not to not to have a great effort night. But but you know they do <laughs> college kids. I, I, I was sitting there in the press box just looking around. I thought, wow, I thought a 1,000 fans was empty. 200, yeah. 250 and, fans, and, and to, it's really and to, empty. And to be fair, you know, the closing players have been playing in front of fans this year. That's right. And Tech didn't even have their band and their cheerleaders this go-around. They'd had them the last few games. North end zone was completely empty. It just I mean, felt like a scrimmage. Except, a, it, except it didn't even feel like a scrimmage because all those scrimmages you and I used to go to in Lane Stadium back were, in the day, there, more there was always several thousand people there just yeah. show up. A <laughs> couple of final thoughts before we transition to talk a little bit about Virginia Tech basketball. Wrapping up, uh, number three, Clemson's 45-10 win over Virginia Tech. Khalil Herbert, 21 carries, 96 yards, and a touchdown. Average 4.6 yards a carry. He goes over 1,000 yards on the season. And you think about what he's been able to do in a shortened season and a season in which he's been injured to go over the 1,000-yard mark First 1,000-yard rusher for Virginia Tech since Trayvon McMillan in 2015. What would you think about what he was able to do in the game, have success running the yeah. ball against Clemson's front, and going over 1,000 yards on the season? He might have moved himself up around. He looks so good. Because of the talent of the opposition. Yeah. Um, you know, the offensive line, you know, seemed to do a good job considering the talent level of the opposition. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the, the, I – I'm not going to say I felt good about the game. Tech lost by 35, but I picked them to lose by 30. They actually lost by more than I thought they were going to I picked lose them to by. lose by 39, so they lost by a little less. R- right, me. but but I thought it, they were going to be overwhelmed from the beginning and then hit a couple of junk touchdowns later. But no. But no, it was it was the other way around. Um, they really, really hung in there. And Herbert, obviously, obviously is a big part of that. I hate it that... You know, he's Fuente's first 1,000-yard rusher at Tech, and we did, and it comes in a four and six season. Yeah, it's almost like a footnote. It's yeah, like none of well, you have, but none of the rest of us have actually gotten to see the guy play in person. Yeah, um, he's only here yeah, for the, a year. The press box isn't even in person. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> you know? true, true. And it, we're four and six, so it almost seems like ah, what, what a waste. Yeah, what a shame. Well, could, why couldn't we have had that dude in like 2016? All right, so right. so let's let's he's about to set a record, all right, at Virginia Tech. And and with a program with the the rushing history of Virginia Tech dating all the way back to Bill Dooley, what what Khalil Herbert has done this year is is noteworthy, all right? So the record for yards per carry in a season. It's funny, I was I was on Rick Watson's uh show Friday. And so uh as I'm driving in to be on Rick Watson's show, Right before I get out of my truck, Rick says, and Will's going to have a Virginia Tech trivia question for you. And I'm thinking, 
Thanks, Rick. <laughs> Am I? <laughs> so my go-to question is, who's the single-season record holder for yards per carry average? All right. So we asked that question, and we start getting lots of calls, and, and people are guessing. And I actually said, it's not Michael Vick. Don't guess Michael Vick. You know, so a couple of people called in and guess Michael Vick. Got a uh, Cyrus Lawrence guess, uh, David Wilson guess. And, and finally, a guy called in for the third time. This guy got it right on the third time. He said, Andre Kendrick. And you, and you actually can't look this up right now online because the database says Khalil Herbert. And I'll get to that in a second. So if you go to Damien's site, you're going to get told right now that it's, it's Khalil Herbert. So Andre Kendrick, you, so to qualify for this record at Virginia Tech, you have to have 100 carries in a season. And in 1999, Kendrick had 103 carries in a season for 645 yards, 6.26 yards per carry. And that's the record. David Wilson has a career YPC record for 5.76 or something like that. That's nuts for an entire career. So Kendrick's holding it at 6.26. Khalil Herbert currently has 134 carries, 1,020 yards, 7.61 yards a carry. I did the math, and if he carries the ball 29 times without gaining a single yard, he'll be tied with Andre Kendrick. <laughs> so going into this UVA game, feed the guy the ball a little bit, you know, he'll, he is going to set the record. So that's just phenomenal. And, and, and I thought he looked better against Clemson than, than we've seen him since the injury issues started. Yeah, uh, you know, I've had a bye week to rest up and everything. I think that was certainly the case. Uh, hopefully he saves his best for last. Um, didn't uh, – I think Andre Kendrick actually led us in yards per carry both of those years, 99 and 2000, right? I think he was behind – he was number two behind um, Chiron Stith and then, number, and then number two behind Lee Suggs the next year. But – I think he actually led us in yards per carry both yeah. years. Uh, so, so one other little nugget I want to throw in, throw in there, um, and and I've said this before. One of the more impressive things about Herbert's year is that the the very low number of lost yards. Okay, so one of the more impressive performances you will ever see is that Lee Suggs in the 2000 season ran the ball 222 times. I don't know. I'm sorry, I didn't write down how many yards he ended up with for the season. But in 222 carries, he only lost 17 yards. Herbert, now, now by the way, the next time Suggs ran the ball a lot was 2002. He lost about 50 yards for, for comparison. 2000 that, offensive line was much better than the 2002 yeah, offensive um, line. And so Herbert this year in 134 carries, so that's about you know, 88 fewer carries, has lost 18 yards. It's a really impressive performance. He's just not a guy who loses yardage. Even And if you even go back, like Ryan Williams was one of the best about taking the one-yard loss and, and making it a two-yard gain, mm -hmm. taking the two-yard gain, making it a five-yard gain. I think if you look up Ryan Williams, even he lost a lot more yards than that. So that's a that's kind of a hidden stat that's not appreciated. That's, that's really impressive. All right, we're leaving the football talk on a high note here for the podcast. We'll get back to it for the YouTube live questions, which, gentlemen – We've got a lot of questions coming in right now. <laughs> sure so don't do. worry. Those on YouTube, if you've got a question, continue to drop them. We'll get to them in just a moment. We're going to step aside for a break. But when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about Virginia Tech men's basketball. Big game on Tuesday. Coming off a win against VMI. 
And then at 11.30 and 15 minutes as we record live on Monday, December 7th, Coach Justin Fuente will have his press conference. If there's any newsworthy moments from that uh, press conference, we will bring it up at the end of the show. You're listening and watching to episode 156 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, brought to you by Campus Emporium and Southeast Regional Training Center. Welcome back in to episode 156 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Great to have you with us. Evan Hughes alongside of Chris Coleman, Will Stewart, the best podcast producer in the land, Malcolm Stewart, behind the scenes. We're going to transition from the gridiron to the hardwood. Talk a little hokey hoops. Virginia Tech picking up another win last Thursday, 64-57 over VMI. It was a close game a game in which Virginia Tech trailed midway through the second half. Hokies only 4 of 27 from deep, but Chris, they found a way to win the game. What did you take away from the VMI win? Oh, they couldn't shoot that night, for sure. Um, Mike Young said it after the game. I forget the exact quote, but it was something like, I have no idea how in the world somebody as good as Naheem Ali can get all those open shots and not make any of them. <laughs> he was 0 of 7. Which is pretty much what happened, you know. <laughs> so, and he's a much better player than that. Um, so, that, yeah, that was certainly part of it. Um, I, think, I think it's kind of funny that, that Tech has played their best two games against, you know, Villanova and then – South Florida. South, South Florida. Florida who South what what conference is South Florida in? They're in the American. Okay, okay. So they're mid major. And then you've get then they played their worst games against low majors, VMI and, and Rad and Radford. Which by the way, folks listening, there's always people always make the mistakes of calling everybody that's not in a power five conference a mid major. Well, if everybody else is a mid-major, then what's then a low who's major? A, what's a low major? Exactly. So the, the answer, answer the, an, <laughs> the, the yes, the, the answer to that is there's 300. I think there's 357 teams in Division One college basketball this year, and your Americans and your Colonials and, and and conferences like that and your A10s, those are mid-majors. Your low majors are your Big South, your Southern Conference, things like that. Yeah. Um, and there, and you know, there, there's probably like, there's a few schools here and there, like, like Dayton or Xavier, and you could probably consider those schools somewhere between mid-major well, and I'd, power I'd five. consider a lot of teams in the Atlantic 10. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah, good, yeah. good conference. The, the A-10 might be somewhere between like mid-major and mid-major power and five. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, so anyway, wanted to, wanted to go on that quick little rant, but, uh, I, I it's, I'll, I'll actually worry about how tech's going to play at home this year. They've played yeah. their two best games yeah. on the road yeah. on neutral neutral site venues, and they're they're kind of used to playing neutral site venues where there's not a lot of people there, and and but you're playing a big name team, uh, and it's just kind of fun to go out and do that. But when you're playing somebody at home and you're used to there being a big crowd there, and there's not, and it just it's just more of a scrimmage atmosphere than anything else. Um, so actually right now, my biggest worry about this team is playing at home. So, you know, to, to build upon that, um, if, if you are struggling shooting the basketball, then the support from the home crowd helps you. Uh, so I guess a better, a different way to phrase it is, um, if, if you clearly, they just, 
I thought they got a lot of open looks the other night, and they just didn't make them. Mm. And that gets contagious, and there's no way to break out of it because there's no crowd that's behind you trying to encourage you. It's just you and your guys. And and so that'll be something to watch through the rest of the year. And, and it could also help them on the road. Right. So, you know. You know, so and, and it's all going to even out. And the funny thing is we haven't really talked about this for football. Um, I've, I've been pretty unforgiving when it comes to yeah, football. That's true, yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, so if, if you look at last year, you know, it's a little alarming that, that Tech – can beat the num- number three Villanova and struggle with VMI. Well, last year they beat number three Michigan State and they struggled with VMI. Score the other night was 64 to 57. Well, last year it was 64 to 55. So it was just as close last year. And, um, you know, Tech, at the time they played VMI last year, the Hokies were, they were eight and three and one and one in the ACC. So they didn't play them until January. Yeah, and, 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 they, and they struggled with them last year. So that's that's kind of a... If, if if you're alarmed, maybe you should be. Maybe you shouldn't be. <laughs> it's, it's it's entirely too early to either be alarmed or 100 percent excited. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. Just kind of let it yeah, play. Just, out. It's four games in. Chill. Four Hokies were in double figures against VMI. Keve Aluma double doubles, 17 points, 12 rebounds. Tyrese Radford 13 points, six boards, nearly a double double for Justin Mutz. 10 points, 9 rebounds. Mutz is somebody, I think, that could really make an impact down low for Tech yeah, this year. Yeah, um, and I will say this. With him and Aluma combined in that game, last year, I think Tech shot, well, they made like three three-pointers that entire game or something like that. Last year? No, this year. Four, this, four this threes. Year was four. four threes. Four of 27. Okay, and what, what percentage is that? Well, you're good at that. Oh, let's see. Gosh. Uh, 14.8%. Four, thank yeah, you, Yeah, 4 of 28 be 14%. For the record, I did not do that math. I am horrible <laughs> at math. Thank you, box um, score. So, I don't think you win that game. I don't think they would have won any games last year shooting 14% from three-point range, right? Yeah, that was their bread and butter that last was, year. They had to make three-pointers to yeah. win. And this year, when they weren't going down – well, you know, you could get you could get Mutz, you could get Aluma to generate some offense for you on the inside. So, multiple ways to win basketball games this year. That's right. that's really my biggest takeaway. Well, Bisabidi also poured in eleven points uh, and four rebounds for the Hokies. So, so, so listen to this quote: "VMI's zone defense had the Hokies confused offensively early in the game." That's actually from last year's yeah. recap. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So let's transition quickly. Big game tomorrow on Tuesday. Uh, we will talk about that game on Thursday's podcast. But Virginia Tech, ranked 16th in the country, plays host to Penn State. A game a couple of years ago, you'll remember, the Hokies were unbeaten that Sweet 16 team and lost to Penn State in the I ACC just, Big Ten Championship. I, 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 will, I will say a couple of things. It's like... First of all, I made a mistake on the last podcast. I said Iowa was the only team Tech has ever beaten in the ACC Big Ten, Big Ten Challenge. That's not true. A few years ago, they actually beat Michigan on the road. Tech was down right. by 15 or 16 points in the first half and then came back and won. So Michigan's the only team besides Iowa that Virginia Tech has beaten. But they've lost to Penn State like two or three times in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, including that last time. It's like, oh, gosh, I really – I find it really difficult to have – kind things to say about Penn State these days it's like uh, <laughs> it's like I, I don't like UVA because I'm a tech fan but it's like I don't like Penn State because I'm a human being you know what I'm saying it's just, uh, 
Uh, I really want Tech to win this game. I'll be very, very disappointed if they lose it. I'll put it that. I say that without not knowing much about Penn State. I know Penn State beat VMI by about 20, and then they had one other really close game. What did they do last night? I know they played Seton Hall. Well, I do want to point out, VMI was leading at the half against Penn State, right. and then they lost 86. I'm sorry, they beat them 86-65, 21-point win. They uh, beat VCU on a buzzer beater, 72-69. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then last night in overtime, they lost 98-92 oh. to Seton Hall. Overtime. So they played an overtime game against Seton Hall two days before playing Virginia Tech. But mm-hmm. they're going to be fired up potentially after losing a game. So uh, Yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah, I, I just I feel like Tech. this is the game Tech should win. And I know nothing about Penn State except for their record and the scores of their games. But this is one I feel like if – if both teams played their A game, Virginia Tech should win this one. So go win it. So let's uh, let's talk about the ACC Big Ten Challenge overall. Um, wow. And it gets into a larger point I want to discuss. The ACC Big Ten Challenge started in 1999. And the ACC won the first 10 of them, 1999 mm. through 2008. So the ACC at one point was 10-0. and 0. It's now 12-6-3, which means in the last 11, the ACC has outright won two of them. They've lost six of them and tied three of them after starting out 10-0. and Now, what happened circa 2008-2009? TV contracts. The Big Ten Network. Mm-hmm. And so I think what you're seeing is, you know, the ACC has always been historically the best basketball conference. The money has started to make the Big Ten better and better, and the SEC also. Look at the number of good coaches in the SEC Mm -hmm. now. Yeah. Buzz Williams. Now, Buzz is a unique case, but Buzz Williams left the ACC for the SEC. Is Bruce Pearl still coaching? He uh, is. Got Auburn to a Final Four two years ago. Yeah, and and to probation since then. (laughs) With with the money, the Big Ten and, and the SEC are making a run at the ACC's historical top dog stature so that that's that is a stark change from 10 and 0 to 2 6 and 3 mm. in the last 11 cassie laramore chimes in the chat and goes i'm not sure why but i get terrell bell vibes from mutts terrell bell vibes hmm. uh bell was generally more of a three than than a four but i i, I understand like he's never like i don't think mutts will ever be like a star player or anything like that, and neither was Terrell Bell, but he was a guy that could make some open shots for you, was a good rebounder, a good defender. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. A, a glue guy. Um, in looking at Pemsel and Aluma and Mutz, um, to me, Mutz is the one guy who can start from the perimeter and drive to the middle. I think mm. he showed that against VMI. I remember a drive yeah. from the wing down into the paint. Yeah, he's a, he's – you know, those other guys are 6'9-ish, 6'10", something like that. He's 6'7". Yeah. Yeah. So we'll transition now to our favorite part of the podcast. Those are where we get to take the questions from you chiming in on YouTube. I'll also be monitoring Twitter as Coach Justin Fuente will soon speak with the media. If there's any news, I'll be sure to uh, to fill those in listening and watching here on the Tech Sideline podcast. Let's go ahead and dive right into the chats. Uh, again, a lot of people commenting right now. Uh, let's start with uh, – actually, let's go to – I had a Twitter question from JPCVT. He asks, Virginia Tech has now lost four straight games, the second time in Justin Fuente's five years that it has happened. 
Saturday night score tied 2019 Duke as the worst ever loss against an ACC team. This will be the first losing regular season since the early 1990s. Saturday, when asked about support from the administration, Fuente said, I feel great about what we're doing and where we're going. I feel that Fuente struggles to acknowledge how frustrated the fan base is with him and the state of the program. What do you all make of his comment? He has, when he he makes public comments, he has many, many groups he's addressing. He's addressing his administration. He's addressing his players. He's addressing the media, and he's addressing his fans. And you cannot give an answer that will satisfy all four groups. That's right. Um, you know, his, knowing the way he thinks, he's going to ask, answer the question for his players. That is his first priority. Um, maybe the admin, I don't know. But, but he's got to be careful about what he says publicly um, in front of his players, and and I think that's what's that's what it's about. And I also think he's he's not making that stuff up. Um, you know, I, I think that there are changes coming to the program after after the Baylor dalliance. He and me and Whit got together and talked about what direction to take the program in. And I remember when I interviewed Whit, and he's probably said this other places. Uh, Justin wants to make this the best player development program in the country. So they've gotten into the specifics of not just facilities. And, and support, but what is going to be the focus of the program? So Fuente feels like he has all of that set and locked down, and they're getting ready to start making progress in those areas. The question is: is five it years late? into his tenure, is, right? Is it too late? You know, and and from the fan standpoint, it certainly appears to be too late. Right. Yeah, um, I would agree with that. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't think too much. I don't pay much attention to coaches' comments after a game because of all that. They're addressing so many different people. They have really haven't had a chance to sit back and process everything. It's ten minutes after the game. Well, I, I try right? not to, except I yeah. went after him it, for what he said about the end of the half. It, it depends on. Uh, it kind of depends on. Sometimes they say things because something that's controversial, maybe. I, I don't know, but he never does anything like that. So well, he's, he's, I, I've, he's, I've always studying his entire tenure as a guy who reads all of T- or writes all of TSL- TSL's articles. If if you want the real Justin Fuente, read the Tech Talk Live notes. Yes. Which, which are free, by the way, folks. Yes. And Jake Lyman does an excellent job of transcribing those. He has them transcribed before the show's over. Oh, <laughs> That's an exaggeration, it's, it's, it's but very it's very close. quick. Yeah. Uh, update from Justin Fuente's press conference that is taking place on Monday morning at 11.30. Uh, this is a tweet from Norm Wood. Fuente on if he has a health update on Hokies quarterback Hannon Hooker. Not a lot other than he was obviously having some issues with his temperature. He was fine Sunday. And Matej Cease also chimed in and said fine after the game. So that's the update uh, from Justin Fuente on Monday regarding Hennon Hooker's health, just, which we discussed earlier in the show. I just think his core temperature got too low. And again, I'd have to go back and see what he was wearing on the sideline. He had uh, uh, he had a – I don't have the term for it, the the – the thing that is open on your face but goes over your head yeah, and yeah, down yeah. your neck. Right. It wasn't like he was out there, you know, completely unprepared. Oh, sure, sure. But still. Yeah, yeah. Question from Joseph Warren. Does the hiring of Shane Beamer at USC, lowercase e, which I assume means USC, USC East. East. Mm-hmm. I like that. Does the hiring of Shane Beamer at USC a statement about their program or Shane's readiness to be a head coach? When we're talking about uh, South Carolina, is it a statement about their program? Um, 
I think I, means more of the position that they're in, where they I are think, the state I, of a program. I think they're they're a unique program in that they're a big program. Well-funded. Well-funded with good facilities and a great recruiting fans. area, but at absolute best, the third-best team in their division. Yeah. Because um, they – unless Florida or Georgia just screw up, South Carolina is never going to be able to pass them. So if you're an established head coach, why would you want to move there? Yeah, you're not really going to want to go there. Yeah, yeah. Spurrier did it on the on the downside, downside of his, of his career. career but I, yeah. I think he kind of did it for fun. Oh, he did. He, he got a, you, you ever hear the details right. about that uh, their Under Armour contract they had? <laughs> I, I'd have to go back and look it up, but Under Armour was paying South Carolina like $5 million a year, a lot of money, and Oof. like almost all of that was going to Spurrier. Spurrier yeah. 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 Even um, after he retired, they were paying him tons oh of money. Oh, my God. But, uh, so, but, but it could be an attractive guy for – or attractive job for a guy like Shane. And, you know, because if Shane pushed to, together a few eight and four seasons there, you know, then. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. That means his career's going here. Yeah. Right? Uh, and that means. Now, for those just listening, Chris doesn't mean here in Blacksburg. He was holding his hand and, and trending up. Right. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, man, TSL TV. <laughs> Only do this on television. Yeah, exactly. Um, so now, but it could. It could trend here. Sure. One day. Um, it would certainly be less riskier to hire him five years from now after we know whether or not he's done a good job at South Carolina. Right? Yeah. Um, and he is a risky hire for them. It's a uh, – he's never been a head coach before. He's – it's 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 a high-risk, high-reward, to be honest with you. Not many hires are going to check all the boxes, but he They're checks not, a lot not, of them. None of them are going to check all the boxes. He, he is he is well-liked there. He's popular with former players. A lot of people went to bat for him. Right. And, um, and South Carolina wants to give him a shot. He could be a program builder. And, and he could I, be the guy. And I'm pretty sure he – I'm pretty sure they got him for cheap. So yeah, I haven't had a chance so to read they, articles. So if it doesn't work out, like it's not going to be like a huge, 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 expensive buyout yeah. or something like that. And I'm, I'm actually glad it worked out this way long term because, or it's not like he's at Georgia, a place where he would be impossible to pry him away from. If he does well at South Carolina, and four or five years from now, Virginia Tech is in the market again, or whenever, it's easier to pry him away from South Carolina if if you want to go that route. Right. Um, I, 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 my biggest biggest concern about Shane at Virginia Tech would be if it didn't work out, and you had to fire a Beamer, and boy, if you think things are toxic right now, yeah, that would be a mess. So, but but if he goes there, the the good thing about him at South Carolina, we'll know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah yes and no. So, so I've I've started in 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 watching the way things are trending with Fuente and thinking about making another hire. Of of, I've wondered what kind of guys can Virginia Tech get. Um, there's always the rising coaches from the G5 type programs. Guys like Fuente and and the latest names are you know uh, uh, Chad Well at uh, uh, Coastal Carolina, Healy at Charlotte. Uh, you know, guys, in anybody who's coming up through like Cincinnati or a place like that. But I also wonder if former head coaches at other places would would uh, be another path that Virginia Tech could take. And specifically, you think about a guy like uh, Tom Herman down at Texas. Herman was was very successful at Houston. Um, he's eh, at, at Texas with somebody else's players at Houston. That's... Well, but he was doing a good job recruiting yeah. the Houston area of course, also right, right. You know, before he left. So, um, 
I just wonder, you know, before Witt left Cincinnati, he went the Tommy Tuberville route. I wasn't thrilled with that. You know, uh, I think Butch Jones left uh, um, Cincinnati to go to Tennessee and they hired Tommy Tuberville. I don't know that there are certain retreads I'd be willing to try and retreads I wouldn't be willing to try. I understand why Witt did that against for Cincinnati. At that point, Cincinnati was losing their head coach every three years. Yeah. To, because somebody bigger was hiring them away. Yeah. And he wanted some something in there that could possibly lead to some stability, mm-hmm. I think. Um, it depends on the retread. Like, I thought it was a horrible idea for South Carolina to hire Will Muschamp. Because he'd already failed at a bigger program program in the same division. Right. So what are the chances that was actually going to work out in South Carolina? That that was horrible, horrible, horrible. So and that was the same. That was the same AD who hired Shane. So we'll see. We'll see how that works out there. Um, I've got a like I don't know, man. I was thinking about this some yesterday, and I actually don't know that the Virginia Tech fan base will ever truly be happy again. I. They they got they had Frank Beamer, a Virginia Tech graduate, winning ten games every year. They'll never be that happy again. Well, so uh, the parallel I would draw is Alabama. Alabama Alabama had Bear Bryant, and then they did win another national championship with a coach whose name I suddenly can't remember. Oh, uh, nineteen ninety two. Yeah, I know who. Uh, so it's actually a trivia question to to go on a little bit of sidetrack. Trivia question during the Tech game the other night. The last time Virginia Tech didn't go to a bowl, who won the national championship and who won the Heisman? <laughs> and it was uh, Alabama that won the national championship in 92, and Gino Toretta won the Heisman. Mm-hmm. I just remember now we're answering questions, so i got to wrap this up. Um, but, you know, Alabama was probably in an area where they weren't really happy, and then they hired their Nick Saban, a guy who was as successful as Bear Bryant. So for the Virginia Tech fan base to be happy, you're going to have to hire a guy who will be, air quotes, as successful as Frank Beamer. Right. And that's... Is that likely? Uh, Which is why I'm saying... And it's not just as successful. It's just as successful in the way, Frank Beamer. Like, tech fans, they want something very specific here. Like, let's be quite honest here. I don't mean this out of any disrespect at all. But would tech fans be all over Shane Beamer being Virginia Tech's coach if his last name wasn't Beamer? Uh, hmm. No. No not, chance. Not, not really, no. No, exactly. No. So there's something very specific that Virginia Tech fans want. You see that they all want former players to coach here. They want Beamers to coach here. They want to win in such a specific way. And that's why I don't think they'll ever be happy again. You have to prove it to them that they can be done another way. Right. So right. I think we're yeah. losing Evan here. Are you Sorry, No, Evan. I'm good. You're okay <laughs> over there? Uh, here's a good question from David Lanham. Do you believe Foo's future depends on the UVA game? No, I don't think so. Nope. I, I don't think I don't think any coach's future ever depends on one game. Maybe in some very drastic situations, like I'm sure they would fire an Auburn or an Alabama coach based on based on one game. <laughs> you know that that certainly can happen down there. No, but I no, just... no, not here. Fuente's future is going to be determined by. Well, first of all, you know, Wit has to be dedicated to make the move. Even if he is dedicated to, to make the move, first of all, he has to he would have to secure the buyout money, and then second of all, it would have to be approved by the board of visitors. Yeah, he'd have to go uh, through the administration. I think he could secure the buyout money. The last we heard is the BOV would be very very concerned about optics in a year where you know you'd be paying a ten million dollar buyout 
while also laying off a bunch of athletic department employees and things like that. Yeah. The public perception of that, the optics would not be good, even though the buyout money would be coming from a separate pool. Your and, and, average and, person doesn't understand that. Right. So the optics would be really bad. Now, here's the difference between Virginia Tech administration and SEC administration. You know, South, South Carolina just fired their coach. They don't care what people think. <laughs> they don't. I mean, because because Will and today Mil- they're in a happy place. Will Muschamp, <laughs> Will Muschamp was bad for their football program, so they fired him. And they don't care what and anybody. The school thinks. president was heavily involved in that, right? And you right. won't get that at Virginia Tech. No, and that's not a criticism of Tim Sands, right? That's just not the way it it's works. It's just a different here. culture, yeah. right? Let's do one more question from Billy Parvin. Any chance Bud Foster would come out of retirement to no, join no, Shane in no, South Carolina? No, I actually heard that from someone over the weekend, and Bud Foster like told him directly, "No, no way, I'm going to do that." Yeah. No, well, no. What will likely happen is Shane will make a run at Torian Gray. To be his DC, to be his defensive coordinator, and he's still at Florida, correct? He's the defensive backs coach or cornerbacks coach at Florida. So, if he, he wouldn't make that move as as just a defensive backs coach, that would that would be a step down. But a promotion to DC would be a step up for him. So, I think that's the direction Shane will try to go in for his defensive coordinator. It's not going to be Bud Foster. No, but well, Bud, Bud's but, retired but, and wants but, to be Bud, retired. Bud wants to be retired, and Bud was not. But Shane is going to put emphasis on recruiting at South Carolina, and and he's going to hire a staff, the camera, a staff of people who were one hundred percent dedicated to recruiting, and that was never Bud at Virginia Tech. He, Bud was a great football coach, but there's a reason right now why we why we're starting a two hundred sixty five pound defensive tackle and a two hundred eighty pound defensive tackle, right? Because we just weren't all that interested in recruiting towards but, but, the end. Of- but what about Dax Hollyfield? Bud, just for whatever reason, Bud liked Dax and sold out to recruit Dax, right. but that wasn't his typical MO. Correct. Perfect. Well, great questions, and I apologize for coughing. Ever had a tickle in your throat that you just can't scratch and you just yeah. got to go get yes. some water? That's what I need to do right now. So you got any more now. questions? So, uh, what's that? Any more questions? Like one more? Uh, let's do one more. Do Absolutely. One more. You know, I'm going to go back to a basketball question real quick. Um let me go to – I mean, it's a long – chat. where was it? And this was a question we had last week, but um, Matt Hart wanted to clarify. Clarific- clarification from my question last week. Should have worded it differently. How attractive is Mike Young's system to high-level recruits? Not necessarily if Mike Young would chase them, but how attractive is his system? Oh, I think – I don't that, – that's actually a really good question, probably above my head to a certain extent. Um I don't think the system. My gut feel is that like it's not either a net positive or a net negative. Um, I think it's a system that can succeed if you don't necessarily get top forty players. But you know, Joe Bamisil was a highly re- recruited player, right? Um, I, I think I think it's more attractive than like Tony Bennett's system. Hmm. It's a offensively. It's a more offensively oriented system, right? 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 Because UVA is predicated on defense. Yeah, they run the pack line defense, but offensively, you know, it's just unless UVA had like NBA talent, they're kind of a grind to watch. They can still be very, very efficient and things like that, but but they can be a grind to watch offensively um, if they don't have like a couple of NBA guys. To me, it's a sales job by Mike Young, and you take a look at a guy like Joe Bamisil. Who's, who's very uh, talented, but isn't ready to play in the system. Right. You, know, you, you could tell Joe's not ready to He's play not in the system. Ready to play. So 
it, it would help if Young can get him integrated into the system and then he starts having a lot of success and then you can use that as a case in point. Um, but uh, you have to sell the highly rated recruit on, you know, we're not going to plug you in right away and have you dropping 20 a game. You know, it's going to take a year or two. Who was the guy that, uh, oh gosh, she declared for the draft out of UVA? It was a first-round pick a couple years ago. DeAndre Hunter? Yeah. Well, he redshirted at UVA. Wow, yeah. that's something. Is, is that yeah. the first reference of redshirt on the <laughs> yeah, podcast? So. But, but uh, I don't know if that was because of injury or, or whatever. I, I don't know. But I do know he redshirted at UVA. And I know that Tech will have an opportunity to redshirt guys next year. Like, I don't know who else they're going to sign in this class, but the Hokies are going to have a lot of players coming back next season. And, you know, if you if you recruit maybe a couple guys who don't have to be highly re- recruited, but if you feel like they have a high ceiling, and you'll have the opportunity to redshirt those guys next year. And, and I, I think that would be good for the, the long-term health of the program. Uh, I, I don't sit here and think every basketball – players should redshirt like football players that's that's not certainly not the case but when you have an opportunity to do so uh i i I sometimes think you know it it might be more beneficial if virginia tech could sign a four-star guy or a three-star guy this spring maybe right now the better option for the program would be to sign the three-star guy who's willing to redshirt because they're going to have that opportunity next year that four-star guy he might not want a red shirt, and then when he comes in and he's not getting as much playing time, and then boom, he's out. Yeah. He's gone. Hits the portal, right? Yep. So a couple other news items. Uh, Fuente says Brock Hoffman will get an opportunity to get back in there at center. You know, it's not like he's, he's super in the doghouse. <laughs> Burmeister practiced Sunday, and Fuente thinks he'll be fine for Saturday. It was a leg injury. We heard uh, possible concussion, but no, that's not what Fuente is saying publicly. He's saying it was a it was a leg injury after he was sacked. Um an interesting quote of Andy Bitter. Uh, well, I don't know that Andy Bitter asked this question, but Fuente was asked back in September, did, did, did you think Virginia Tech would play all 11 scheduled games? And Fuente said never. Did not think that would happen. <laughs> yeah, so interesting stuff. Uh, one more piece of information to add as well. He, uh, Justin Fuente on Christian Darasaw's health, he said, I anticipate it would take a lot for him to miss this game. Yeah, which is good to hear. He said after the game, he he said, uh, um, I think he calls him CD. He said, I asked CD if if, if he was was okay, and he said, yeah, coach, I'm okay, but he always says that. Right. So so Um, Christian Darisaw is your guy, man. He wants to play no matter what. Yeah, and he's nowhere close to being 100% either. I, I know it was just preliminary grades, and I know it was Clemson, but he's played some darn good players throughout the course of his career, and he always beats all of them, and he didn't grade out well against Clemson. Interesting. He's nowhere close to 100%. Hmm. Yep. It's amazing how an hour and a half goes by and snap a finger. A little bit short, actually, but uh, football, basketball, it's crossover season. Lots of great stuff going on. It's UVA week, and plus, as you heard Chris talk about earlier, he really wants to beat Penn State, and that's coming up on Thursday's podcast as well. Yeah. UVA preview and recapping Tech Penn State. Um, and we've also got uh, the furniture for the new office is being delivered. Uh, it's all here and pretty much set up. Um, so we got that going on, which is good. And there's something else. Oh, so Campus Emporium, I think we put the ad up during the break. They've got uh, free shipping on orders over $12 through December 13th. So visit CampusEmporium.com or one of their two stores. Chris Coleman, it's my favorite question to ask every show. What's coming up on TSL this week? 
Hmm. Well, we're going to have a typical week. We'll have inside the numbers. We'll have, I, I will have an article today. I didn't write one last week. We'll have week. an article today. It's going to be a normal week, man. Q&A. Uh, Brandon Patterson? Uh, maybe. Maybe not. I think Brandon wants to take some time off during the holidays. Yes. It's it's all... It really I mean, builds at this time of year. When, when, when you're stuck at home during COVID with a wife and kids, and you can never get out of the house, man, I can't imagine what that would be like. Not that I... I'm sure it's great for some people, but at the same time, you need to take a break, right? I'm going to invite him to go streaking on the quad. <laughs> That's an old school reference right. for those of you that don't know the movie. <laughs> I have seen old school for those that are about to ask. I have seen old school. Uh, uh, but, good. Normal but, week. But, but yeah, mostly normal week. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, as a reminder, be sure to follow Will and Chris on Twitter at Chris Coleman TSL at Will Stewart TSL at Tech Sideline on Twitter you're watching on youtube be sure to hit the like and subscribe also um, instagram where nick brown is running our instagram he's working account. really hard on that instagram that's he a is. great point plug the instagram he does our instagram stories updates on men's basketball women's basketball and football i mean up to date great content good work nick brown yep so all right any closing thoughts gentlemen none whatsoever let's rock and roll thanks to everybody for the fantastic questions in the chat today if you didn't get yours asked be sure to bring it back on thursday Hokies and Cavaliers, Commonwealth Cup on the line. We preview it on Thursday. Hope you can join us at 1 o'clock. That'll do it for us, for our managing editor, Chris Coleman, our founder and general manager, Will Stewart, the best podcast producer in the land, Malcolm Stewart. I'm Evan Hughes, your podcast host, saying so long. Thanks so much for watching and listening to episode 156 of the Tech Sideline podcast. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you on Thursday.